Well, good morning, church family. If you have your Bible, go ahead and grab those. Uh, today we're reading John chapter 5, verses 31 through 47. And as I read, what really Jesus is doing here is he is authenticating his message. But what I want you to do is as I read it, I want you to notice how he authenticates it, how he says it's true. But then also I want you to notice the irony in John chapter 5. I'm starting in verse 31. I'm using the New American Standard Version, if you're curious. It says this. Jesus says, if I alone testify about myself, my testimony is not true. There's another one who testifies of me, and I know that the testimony which he gives about me is true. You have sent to John, and he has testified to the truth. But the testimony which I receive is not from man, but I receive these things so that you may be saved. He was the lamp and was burning and was shining, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony which I have is greater than the testimony of John. For the works of the Father, which the Father has given to me to accomplish, the very works that I do testify about me that the Father has sent me. And then also, the Father who sent me has testified about me. You have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form. You do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe him who he sent. Verse 39. Search. Or you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is the scriptures, it is the Bible that testify about me. Yet you are unwilling to come to me so that you may have life. I did not rejoice, I did not receive glory from men, but I know you, that you do not have the love of God in yourselves. I have come in my Father's name and you did not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another, and you do not seek the glory that is from the one and only of God? Do not think that I will accuse you before the Father. The one who accuses you is the one you respect the most, the Moses, in whom you have set your hope. Verse 46, for if you believed in Moses, you would believe in me, for he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will then you believe my words? Amen. Before I begin, I'm, um, I'm a little bit worried about this morning. Because I think to some of us, we've never really answered the question I'm going to ask you this morning. And to some of us, it might just kind of uh, rip our faith apart part right to the core. But I think to some of us also that it will give us a more certain footing or more certain foundation to answer the question. The question I'm going to ask you this morning is this, why, why do you believe in Jesus? It's a simple question, but it may be kind of difficult to answer. Let me ask you the question again, why do you believe in Jesus? Now, now the question is not, who is Jesus, or why should you believe in Jesus, or what can Jesus do for you, or how do you believe in Jesus? No, the question is, is if you're a professing Christian, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, then I want you to answer the question, why do I believe in Jesus? In a sense today, I want to help you put together uh, one of these. Now, this looks probably a little bit strange, okay? But this is a personal family photo album, okay? Now, how many of you have one of these in your homes? Okay, okay basically all of us. Why? What, 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 what 
purpose does this serve? I, I think it does a couple different things, right? You know, number one, it proves something that if you were to look in here, it would prove that once upon a time that I had hair, okay? Uh, it was beautiful. Once upon a time, I had no gray hair, okay? It, it proves something. It proves something in the past, that I was certain of something in the past, but it also preserves. It proves and it preserves. It preserves a memory that you can go back and you can look at this time in the midst of a difficult season of your life, and you can look back at a good time you had with your family or a time where maybe you and your spouse were getting along, okay? Or your child was young or your child behaved or whatever, this proves and preserves something so you can look back later on and have a certainty in the present. Today I'm going to ask you to do the same thing. Today what I want you to do is I want you to put four different pictures in your spiritual life album. Today I want you to put four different pictures in your spiritual life album because one day in the near future... There will come a day when you have bad news, or you get discouraged, or there's a trial, or there could be a day that you feel like you no longer believe in God, or that you feel like somehow that God has betrayed you, that somehow that God doesn't exist, and that Jesus Christ really wasn't your Savior. One day you will struggle to answer the question, why do you believe in Jesus? So today, I want to help you to put four different pictures in your spiritual life album. And the reason I want to do this today is because this is exactly what Jesus does in John chapter 5. That in our passage in verses 31 through 47, Jesus puts four different witnesses or four different pictures into the album to answer the question, why should they or why should we believe in Jesus Christ? If you notice with me, you'll see the first witness or picture in verses 31 through 35. Another one is in verse 36. Another one is in verse 37 and 38. And then the fourth and final picture or witness witness is in verses 39 through 47. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and open those once again. If you've been here for the last few weeks, then you know that this is really the third sermon that we have had in John chapter 5. If you were to uh, take John chapter 5 and put it into a timeline, you would see that it has three main sections or chunks, okay? You would, have, you would see that Jesus' action is in verses 1 through 17. Then Jesus' authority to do that action in verses 18 through 30. And then you see Jesus' authenticity. It really answers the question, why should they believe in Jesus? What did Jesus originally do? In verses 1 through 17, what did he do? He, he, he broke all the rules, right? He, he broke all of it, or not all of them, I should say, but he broke some Sabbath rules. And what did he do? He walked into the pool of Bethesda. And what did he see? He saw a multitude. In the original language, it is a great multitude of sick and dying people, people who were ill, who were sick, who had withered limbs, who were handicapped. He walked into the pool of Bethesda, and what did he find? He found complete and total hopelessness. But in the midst of all of these people, he saw one man. He saw a man that was sitting beside the pool, hopelessly waiting to be placed into the pool when the waters were stirred. He finds, he sees one man who is sitting there for 38 years. Now that's a long time, okay? That's longer than I've been alive, okay? Just saying, okay? He sees this man who has been hopeless and he decides to heal him. And then how do the crowds react, right? I think if, if, if somebody were healed in our sanctuary this morning, I hope that we would not, 
we would be happy for the person. You're probably a little bit skeptical about who this guy is up here. Okay, what is he knocking people in the head for? I'm just kidding. We're not doing that. Okay, so, but, I mean, I would hopefully that we would rejoice, but how did the crowds react? The complete opposite. They are all up in arms. They get all upset. Why? Because their pissy Sabbath rules were broken. But really, what is the deeper issue going on? In verses 18 through 30, we see the deeper issue. It's an issue of Jesus' authority. What authority, in their mind, this Jesus guy, what authority does he have to break our Sabbath rules? And what does he say? Jesus' authority in verses 18 through 30 comes from where? It comes from the Father. Right? It's what he says. And that it is seen, it is proven, his authority is proven through his sameness with the Father, that him and the Father are one, that he follows the Father. It is seen in salvation, verse 24, and it's seen in the judgment to come. So then we have the, the next question is, okay, so if Jesus, if you are truly authoritative, if you have the, the right to break our rules, then who are you? Why should we believe in you? And that's the question he answers today. But what's interesting, too, is, is uh, we read the Bible, okay? We can't help it. But we read the Bible as a 21st century American. I mean, we can't just help it. Because what, what we fail to see is that there's more to the conflict than we are aware of. They dislike Jesus because he broke their rules. They dislike Jesus because they question his authority. But what we don't understand is, as I was researching this passage this week, is that in this culture that 64 other men have claimed to be the Christ, to be the Messiah. And so I would imagine that here, they're just a bit skeptical that this Jesus guy really is who he claims to be, because he's just the 65th person. If 65 different people promised you something, how would you react? You'd probably be a little bit skeptical. So here they are, they question Jesus in the midst of all of his miracles And then this is the authenticity. Jesus proves his authenticity through four pictures or witnesses. Notice verse 31. If I alone, Jesus is talking, if I alone testify about myself, my testimony is not true. Okay, so pause there for just a moment. I want to explain something to us. That according to the law of Moses, in order for something to be proven in the court of law, what is required? You have to have, yeah, I heard witnesses, I heard a little mumbles, that's right. You have to have at least two or three witnesses according to Deuteronomy chapter 19 verse 15. That in the court of law, in order for something to be proven true, for something that is to be authenticated, you have to have at least two or three witnesses. And Jesus clearly understands this. Notice what he says. Notice the first witness to his case. Verse 32, there is another who testifies of me, and I know that the testimony which he gives about me is true. You have sent to John, and he has testified to the truth. But the testimony which I receive is not from man, but I say these things so that you might be saved. Catch that. He was the lamp that was burning and was shining, and you were willing to receive and rejoice in his light. Why is Jesus authentic? Because of the four witnesses. Witness number one is who? Is John the Baptist. Right? That's what he says. That the first witness, if you were to put him in a court of law, the first witness to prove his case is John the Baptist. 
But what's the irony here? What's the irony in verses 32 through 35? That they rejoice, that they receive the lamp that contains light, but they reject the source of light, which is Jesus Christ himself. That they would happily accept this wild man in the desert, but they will reject the truth. That is a sense of irony here, but John has testified to the authenticity of Jesus and his message. But I, but I want you to catch something else entirely as well. It's kind of on a little bit of a rabbit trail. I say those sometimes, and I'm about to hop off the main course and jump on something really quick. I want you to notice verse 34. But the testimony which I received is not from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. John's testimonies, his constant, uh, his messenger crying out in the desert. John, the whole purpose of John, the whole purpose of Jesus' message as is unfolded in the Gospel of John is for this very reason, that they may be saved. The entire Gospel of John has one single purpose. The end of John chapter 20, that, that we may believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that we may have life in His name. Every story that is unfolded in the Gospel of John from the prologue in verses, chapter 1, verses 1 through 18, to the beginning of his disciples, to the, Jesus turning water into wine, to the, Jesus clearing the temple, to Nicodemus, to the Samaritan woman. All of the stories of the Gospel of John point all to the same purpose. That they may see that Jesus is the real deal. That he is authentic. That they might have life believing in his name. It's the same for us. I think this, I think a lot of people think that they are Christians, they think that they are believers in Jesus Christ, and, but in reality, what? Like I said in the beginning, I think a lot of us think we're kind of like this this morning, we're right with Jesus Christ and God, but I think this might happen today. Because why do you believe in Jesus Christ? Are you truly saved? Are you truly a follower of Jesus Christ, as is the purpose of the Gospel of John? I was telling somebody recently that uh, preaching the Gospel of John is kind of difficult because all passages have the same meaning. So uh, it's really actually quite difficult to preach it. But if you notice here, why do you believe in Jesus? That's a central question that I'm answering this morning. That's what Jesus really offers to us. Why should you believe in Jesus? The first picture I want you to put into your spiritual photo album is testimonies is other people's testimonies. Jesus authenticates his message because of John the Baptist, and I believe it is true today. Picture number one is testimonies. I would imagine one of the reasons that you are sitting here this morning, I would imagine one of the reasons that you follow Jesus Christ is because somebody else convinced you that it was the truth. Someone else's life shared with you about the truth of the gospel. Testimonies are one of the best proofs of the gospel change in life of Jesus Christ. I mean, just think about, think about the people that you have known that are Christians. Every one of them probably have some sort of testimony how God saw them in the midst of, of the mud, of the mire of life, in the midst of uh, hopelessness, and probably Jesus Christ picked them, scooped them up out of the muck and the mire, and they restored to them eternal life. I would imagine each one of us here this morning have somebody else. I'm not talking about your own personal testament. I'm talking about someone else. Who is someone else in your life that has shared their story of how they came to Christ and how Christ changed their life? Put that picture in your spiritual life album. 
Why do you believe in Jesus? Is because of testimonies. Personally speaking, uh, you know, when you're a preacher by trade, you have to always do some introspection. And the story that comes to my mind about somebody else's testimony come, it was about 15 years ago, maybe even a little bit before that. Um, I was in the depot in the youth, up here in the youth area, up in the corner, and it was, uh, I was after youth group one night, and a young man named Riley, he had been coming to the youth group probably for six months or to, or to a year. And I approached him after youth group, and I, I just impulsively went up to this young man. And I said, Riley, are you a believer in Jesus Christ? Okay, I basically like cornered the poor guy. He's like, are you a believer? Okay. And, but I remember his face. It was like scales of unbelief unfolded before me, and the scales turned into tears. And I remember right there at the depot, right here at Calvary Bible Church some 10, 15 years ago, that that young man came to Christ on the patio of the depot itself. And that picture is the testimony that I see of somebody coming to Christ that through his transformation, the fact that he's still walking with the Lord some 10, 15 years later, proves to me that Jesus is real, that he is authentic, and that he wants to change and shape our lives. But then notice the second witness with me. And first point, point number one, if you're following along, is to look to testimonies for Jesus' authenticity. But then notice the second witness we have in verses 36. It says, but the testimony which I have is greater than the testimony of John. For the works which the Father has given to me to accomplish, the very works that I do, testify about me that the Father has sent me. What? What is the second witness that proves Jesus' case? Why is Jesus authentic? Witness number one is John the Baptist, and then witness number two is his own works. What proves Jesus' message to them right then and there? They're clueless. The, the fact that he just healed a man that has been sitting there hopeless for 38 years proves his case. How crazy are the, are the crowds there that they would completely be so consumed with their own self-righteousness, that they would be so consumed with their rules being broken, that they would not only fail to rejoice, but that they would fail to see that this confirms who Jesus truly is. I mean, think about the Gospels as a whole. How many miracles does Jesus is recorded in the Gospels? It's over 30. Over 30 miracles. And there's ones beyond that that aren't even recorded. Over 30 miracles prove Jesus' authenticity. They witness to his truthfulness. And they are completely blind to the fact. The second picture I want you to put in your spiritual life album, the first one is another person's testimony, but then the second one I would like you to put into your spiritual life album to answer the question, why do I believe in Jesus, is picture number two, is Jesus' transforming work. What I mean by that specifically is, how has Jesus changed your life? Because one day, you're going to be sitting on your couch, you're going to be discouraged, you're going to have a hard phone call that you just got off of, or you're going to break a leg, or you're going to go through a difficult time of illness, and you're going to struggle to remember why are you a Christian? Why do you even believe in this Christianity thing? What I want you to do in those moments is I want you to think about a time or how Jesus Christ himself changed your life. Why do you believe in Jesus? Because of another person's testimony and his own transforming work in your life. 
Now, if you have a hard time, or if you cannot, after this week, if you cannot think of a transforming work of Jesus Christ, then I, let me be blunt. Why are you here? <laughs> because as I look at the scripture, when you believe in the gospel, things change. Right? Can I get an amen to that one? That no longer you're a slave to sin. But that you're now a child of God. That now you're a new creation. Now you have a new purpose. That you're an ambassador for Christ. If Christ hasn't changed your life, you're probably not a Christian. There are many times that I can point to where Jesus has shaped my life. But the one that I'm choosing to put in my spiritual photo album is the day I came to know the Lord. I've shared my testimony several times. I was probably eight, about ten years old. I was sitting on my mom's bedroom floor, probably watching soap operas for whatever reason. I'm sorry. Um, so <laughs> I think it was in the summertime, okay? Um, I was bored out of my mind. But I, I, I remember just feeling the weight of my sin and despair and darkness. And I remember being captivated by the grace of God and receiving and believing in Jesus Christ. And I remember that moment some 25 years later of how I felt my sin and my heart and my mind had changed. That moment, I kind of grab and I kind of slam into my photo album and say, you know, why do I believe in Jesus? It's because not only do other people testify to his truthfulness, but but Jesus Christ has changed my life. And let's just... And Jesus Christ has changed my life far more than just that. I think about all, I mean, if you knew me when I was a teenager, then you know Jesus Christ changed my life, okay? Goodness gracious, I was a hot mess, okay? You know, I look at my teenage years and college years, I look at my time in seminary, I remember the drive I had in the moving truck going from Huntsville, Alabama to Dallas, Texas, and I remember the change and the relief that I had. Those moments, what I want you to do is I want you to capture those, and I want you to put them in your mind, so that way one day when you struggle to understand why you followed Jesus in the first place, you remember his changing work in your life. My second point today is to look to testimonies and to transformation for Jesus' authenticity. But then notice test, witness number three, verse 37 and 38, and the Father, and the Father who sent me, he has testified about me. You have ne- neither heard his voice at any time, nor seen his form. What's the irony there? You do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe him who he sent. What is the third witness to Jesus' authenticity? Is witness number three, it is the Father. So Jesus' works, John the Baptist authenticates his message, but so does the Father. What, what's the irony here? They're clueless. The very person that they wish to worship, the very person that they want to be right with and justified with, the one person in the universe that they want to feel good and right with is the Father, and they are failing to even notice, to even hear Him. That's what he basically says. Notice verse 37 and 38. It says this, And the Father whom you, who sent me, He has testified about me. How has He testified about Him? Think about that. You have neither heard His voice, audibly also at any time, nor seen his form, you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe him whom he sent. The very person that they wish to be right with is the very person they're clueless to listen to. Think about how the Father, to this point, 
audibly has affirmed that this man named Jesus is his only begotten son. What has happened already once before? Matthew chapter 3. But again, Matthew chapter 17, what happens is that the skies open. Right? You remember that scene, Jesus being baptized. The skies open, and what does God the Father say? This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. The Father has very publicly testified to the truthfulness of Jesus Christ, but these Jews are so consumed with skepticism, with their own self-righteousness, with their rules being broken, that they fail to see the truth, that Jesus is the Son of God, that he is the Savior of the world, and that by faith we have life in his name. You know, this one's a more difficult picture to put into our spiritual photo album of to prove the question, why do we believe in Jesus? We do not, I guess we do have a picture of the Father, which is Jesus, but that's true. But the picture number three that I would like you to put into your spiritual photo album is theology. What I mean by is theology is the Father, is Christian theology. I was sitting in class at Dallas Theological Seminary and I had a, a doctor, a much smarter man than I, Dr. John Hanna, and he, he said something very profound. He said that Christianity, just, just Christianity, not even the specific doctrines of Christianity, but Christianity as a whole, as a world view, is the most complete system to understand the world. That theology alone, Christianity alone, is the most complete worldview. Why? Because it explains everything about life. Just think about it from a holistic perspective. Christianity explains why we die. What does it say? In the day that you eat of the fruit, you shall surely die. It explains death. It explains why we want to have children. Be fruitful and multiply. Christianity explains the conflict we see right now in the world. The conflict of COVID, the conflict of politics, okay, blah, okay. The, the conflict in our marriage, the conflict in our children. What's all that conflict caused from? It's all because of sin, right? Christianity does more than that, but it also explains our desire and need for redemption. It explains our need for government. It explains how the different languages of the world came about in the Tower of Babel, that theology, the Bible. Christianity is the most complete Worldview that in and of itself, that is proof of its, of its authenticity. Picture number three that I would like you to put in there is theology. What is it about Christianity that makes you believe in it? And to me personally, it's the completeness. It's the explanation that it gives to everything in the world. But then notice the fourth and final witness. This is perhaps the most ironic out of them all. I'll share point three real quick. Point three is to look to testimonies, transformation, and theology for Jesus' authenticity. That point is on the back of your note sheet, by the way. But then notice the fourth and final witness. Verse 39. Search. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is these that testify about me. And you are unwilling to come to me so that you may have life. But I do not receive glory from men, but I know you, that you do not have the love of God in yourselves. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. What is he really saying there in verse 43? That you would be quicker to receive a false prophet than the true Messiah. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that is from the one and only God? Do not think that I will accuse you before the Father. The one who accuses you is Moses, 
Wait a second. In whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe in me. For he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? What is the fourth and final witnesses to Jesus' authenticity? John the Baptist, his works, the Father, and then the Scripture. What does he say? Verse 39. I'm going to be, get a little TMI here. Where it says, you search the Scripture. That word, you search, right there in the original language, there has, a, there has to be a decision that we must make here. It could be, it's an identical form. It could be either an indicative statement or it could be a command. I personally think it's a command. Verse 39, where he says, search the Scripture. He's kind of, kind of, in my opinion, kind of teasing them a little bit, kind of poking the Jews. He says, search the Scripture because you think in them that you have eternal life. They do not attain eternal life by searching the Scripture. They attain eternal life how? By faith in Jesus Christ, in whom the Scriptures testify about. But notice, what's the irony here? There's two big pieces of irony. Irony number one is that they search the scriptures and they are completely clueless to affirm through the scriptures that Jesus is the Son of God, the Savior of the world, and that by faith in him you will be saved. That they are so consumed with the scriptures, but they are so clueless to believe and to live it out. But what's the second irony here? It's Moses. What does he say to them in verse 45, do not think that I will accuse you before the Father. There's going to be another one. The one who accuses you is Moses, in whom you have set your hope. That they have placed their hope in a man named Moses. For if you believed in Moses, you would believe in me, for he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? What's the irony here? That they have placed their hope in a man named Moses in obedience to the law that he wrote. But then they're completely clueless to see that Moses did not have justification in and of himself, but that his scripture that he wrote pointed to the one who allows us to attain eternal life. The very person that they respected the most would accuse them and judge them before the Father. Why do you believe in Jesus? If, let me just, let me just play it out for you. If, if a family member, if a child, if your child came up to you right after church today and asked you the question, why do you believe in Jesus, what would be your answer? If you walked out this door and you walked into the parking lot and some of the people that walk around our parking lot, if they asked you, you know, why do you, why do you believe in Jesus, what would you say? Because I I see here in the scripture, there are four witnesses or four pieces of evidence that authenticates Jesus' message. It is testimony, it is his transforming work, it is theology, and it is the text. If you have your notes, it is the text. Point number four is to look to testimonies, transformation, theology, and the Bible itself in order to prove Jesus' case. I want you to humor me for just a second, and I'm going to uh, totally overload you with a little bit of TMI. I do that every once in a while, and I apologize if you tune out for the next three seconds. Okay. But if you think about the Bible, okay, Josh McDowell says that Jesus fulfills over 300 different prophecies of the Old Testament. 300. 
That can't be just happenstance. That has to reveal to us that there is a sovereign God over the universe that has ordained the events of history perfectly to affirm that Jesus Christ through the text of the Scripture, is the Son of God, the fulfillment of the Old Testament. That there are over 300, that's nuts, 300 prophecies of the Old Testament that Jesus has fulfilled. What I'm asking you today is, picture number four is the text. Pick a Bible prophecy that proves Jesus is authentic, that he fulfilled. I'm just going to name a few. This is where I'm going to get TMI on you. Genesis 3.16. It's a great one. Exodus 12, 21. Deuteronomy 8, 18, 18 through 19. Numbers 24, 17. 2 Samuel chapter 7. Psalm 2, verse 1. Psalm 18, verse 49. Psalm 22. You can put the whole psalm in that one. Psalm 22, verses 6 and 12. Psalm 38, 13. Psalm 72, 10. Daniel 7, 14. Isaiah 7, 14. Isaiah 49, 5 through 6. Isaiah 52 and 53. Micah 5, 2. Zechariah 9, 9. Zechariah 13, 6. Just pick one. Because all of these affirm that Jesus Christ is not just some guy, not just some prophet, not just some teacher, but that he is the Son of God, that God the Father has ordained the events of history to prove to everyone, once and for all, that this guy named Jesus is the Son of God, and that he is true, and that he is the Messiah, that he is the Savior of the world. It can't be made up. 300 different prophecies Jesus fulfilled. And one of them simply authenticates his case. We have 300. What prophecy should you put into your text or into your photo album? What prophecy proves Jesus' authentication? I think of one in particular. This is Psalm Isaiah 52 and 53. I'm going to read it. This, if nothing else, this is probably the most vivid display in the Old Testament of the passion of Christ of his final days. This proves his case. Behold, my servant, this is Isaiah 52, verse 13. Behold, my servant will prosper. He will be be high and lifted up, greatly exalted. Just as many were astonished at you, my people, so his appearance was marred more than any other man, and his form more than the sons of men. Thus he will sprinkle many nations. Kings will shut their mouths on his account. Who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a root out of a parched ground. He has no stately form nor majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. But he was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, like one from whom men hide their face. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Can we say an amen, especially in this passage? Surely... Our griefs he himself bore, our sorrows he carried. Yet we have ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was pierced with nails on a cross. He was pierced through for our transgressions to pay for the penalty of a sin that we could not pay. He was crushed for our iniquities. And by his scourgings we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us have turned his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall upon him. Perhaps there is no clearer prophecy in the Old Testament, which was written before Christ was even physically born. Perhaps there is no greater prophecy than this that proves Jesus' case. That he is authentic. Pick one. Pick a prophecy. Just pick one. 
that he proves. Because, friends, just listen to me real quick. One day, you're going to need it. One day, you're going to go through a difficult time in your marriage. Okay? All right? One of the best times to look at this is not in good moments. It's in tough moments. Can I get an amen to that one? When your kids are being kind of stinkers and they don't listen to you at night. All right? I listen to them. Every, look at it every day. I'm just kidding. Okay. Uh, <laughs> but you know, one day, you're going to need this. Because you're going to get so beaten down and so discouraged and so depressed, you're going to have need a little pick-me-up to understand what is the, where's my family functional at one time. That's why you need this. It proves and preserves the case. Put it together for your own spiritual life. Because one day the enemy is going to crawl inside of your ear and make you doubt everything you believe. I've seen so many Christians throughout my life that did not have this photo album to spiritually prove to them the question, why do I believe in Jesus? And then when they go through the difficulties of life, they walk away. How many of you have ever seen somebody like that? They just face one too many trials. And they say, you know, I'm good. I'm out. Why do you believe in Jesus? What authenticates his message to you? Should be one of, at least one of, or at least four things. Right? That we see in the text this morning. Why do you believe in Jesus? Let me talk to two different groups for just a second. There's two different consequences that I see by answering that question. The first consequence are the people that really don't really know how to answer that question. I, I would imagine some here this morning have been going to church their whole life. They've probably been a good Christian person on the outside. But then for the first time, a preacher just comes up here and asks them a simple question, why do you believe in Jesus? And probably some of us have a difficulty answering that question. You know, why Why? why do I believe in Jesus? And to some of you, it's going to rattle your world and rip you apart. And I'm okay with that. Because at least you will know where you stand with Jesus. At least you will know that you're not a Christian and you're being deceived. But really what I hope is really the opposite. That if you don't believe in Jesus, if you can't really answer the question, why do I believe in Jesus, then, then I hope that you would answer that and then, then build upon the foundation of the gospel. But then if you, if you are a Christian, I hope the consequence of this sermon was that, would be that you would put together proof. That you would say in the future, that you could look back and say, why do I trust in Jesus Christ as my Savior? And you would give these four reasons. Picture number one are testimonies. This is on the application portion of your notes if you have them with you. Who is somebody's testimony in your life that you have heard that affirms to you the truthfulness of Jesus Christ? It's not your own, it's someone else's. Picture number two is your own personal experience with Jesus Christ, your transforming work. How has Jesus Christ changed your life? Take it, take a snapshot, picture, put it aside. Remember it. Picture number three is theology. What theological doctrine affirms to you the truthfulness of Jesus Christ? And the picture number four is the Bible. The greatest privilege of there's a lot of privileges. Okay, so one of the greatest privileges of my life is preaching and teaching the Scripture. I love every day of it. it hasn't gotten old in three years. And one of the things I love about it is that every day I walk in, it's something new, it's something fresh, it's something life-giving. Every time I look at the Old Testament, every time I look at those prophecies, it affirms to me that I, I'm the preacher of truth and that we are the believers of truth. 
My point today is to put away in your photo album four pictures, testimonies, transformation, theology, and the text to prove to yourself today and then forevermore Jesus' authenticity. And what I would encourage you to do is, it's a homework assignment essentially this week, is that you would fill this out, put it on a 3 by 5 note card, and put it in the front of your Bible. And know where you put it. Put it in an email and search it later on if you ever need to answer that question. Before I close, I'd like to share the gospel. I mean, uh, the gospel has been presented in almost every page of this thing right here. Um, but if you're never believer in Jesus, if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, if you're not trusted in Him, if He has never come and made you new, made you born again, given you living water, made you a child of God, if He has never done that in your life, then believe in Him and you shall be saved. The crazy thing about Christianity, what really differentiates, there's a lot of things that differentiate it, but one of the things that differentiates Christianity from every other religion, it is the only religion where we cannot earn it. We cannot earn heaven, that we are not good enough. That salvation, that eternal life, that eternal aliveness, heaven, is a gift. I don't know if I really even still understand the grace and the love and the majesty of God. If you have never trusted in Christ, believe in him and you shall be saved. Bow with me in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I, uh, Lord, we got a lot going on. we got a lot of things pulling us in this world. we got a lot of uh, truths quote-unquote, that try to sneak into our ear and to deceive us. Lord, I would imagine here this morning that there are people that the enemy is whispering in their ear that, you know what, I don't know about this Jesus thing. But Lord, the evidence is clear. If we will just see it, if we would push past our bitterness, our self-righteousness, our depression, our depravity, if we would just push past that and see the truth, that you are authentic, that you truly are the Savior of the world, that you have come, that I may have life and have it abundantly. Lord, I pray that we would not be deceived by the enemy, but that we would see the truth, that you are our Savior. Even if we're a Christian, even if we've been a Christian for a long time, that we would put together the proof of it, that we would not just rely on a faulty memory that can't remember what we had for breakfast. I pray that we would write it down in a way that would be permanent. That way we can look back in the future and say, that is why I believe in Jesus Christ. Lord, I, uh, I, I thank you also for this church. I thank you for the unity that we have here. I thank you for the unity that we had on Wednesday night. I thank you for the unity and love of the people here. Lord, I pray that we would continue to love one another, that we would care for one another, that we would be kind to one another. Lord, thank you for your grace and your love and your majesty. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.